Maddie Jackson Selectman has all the titles. She's a best-selling author, a podcaster and sommelier, a former restaurant owner, a current nonprofit co-owner, and the oldest daughter of country superstar Alan Jackson. But there's one title she has that she doesn't want. Widow. In 2018, at the age of 28, she lost her husband, Ben, during their first year of marriage. The journey through grief was excruciating, and because so much of her life is public, she wasn't given the space to grieve like you might expect. But COVID lockdown in 2020 proved to be the timeout she needed to write her new book titled Lemons on Friday. It's about how to honestly process grief in all of life's trials without losing hope. Her story reminds us that loss can lead to a path to purpose. And now Maddie's giving hope to thousands of young women, showing them you can triumph over tragedy. This is Maddie Jackson Selectman, The Hope Giver. But before we begin, did you know you can watch this entire episode on YouTube? Yeah, I know. Every interview, every awesome moment, it's all been captured on multiple cameras in our studio in Nashville. Just know you can always check out these full interviews on YouTube and then also really feel like you're sitting with me with each guest. And while you're there, go ahead and subscribe to my YouTube channel, comment on the videos you like best, and be a part of our community. Just look up Amstigator. Let's get started. It's nice to drink in the morning. I know. <laughs> it is Friday. <laughs> when was the last time you did like sommelier duties? Honestly, I don't even know. Really? Has it been that long? I mean, yeah. Let me tell you, I think that's I think that's interesting. There's things in our lives that we love and I have this thing, because I think about this a lot. In my early 20s, I was a um, I was a ballroom dancer. I taught and competed. I, I'm so in ballroom this. dance. I still consider myself a ballroom dancer. Yes. Do, you, do you know the last time I did ballroom dance? <laughs> no. Probably when I was 23. Yeah. I bet you could do it. Oh, I certainly can yeah, still yeah, do yeah, it. Yeah. And I still think in my life, I'm like, I really want to get back to dancing. When am I going to have time to do that? Never. <laughs> but I know there will be a point, but I still consider myself that. Yeah. So what is like the statute of limitations on oh, when you can stop on our past uh, yeah, abilities labels. or labels, yeah, our past labels? What's um, the statute of limitations? I don't know. I mean, I, I if, if there's a retest for a sommelier, which there isn't, but I, I probably have enough wine to stay current. I don't think I need to retest. What are... What what are the qualifications of a sommelier? Like, how do you actually get there? Um, it, it's there's a lot of different ways. I mean, there's really two primary schools of like wine certification. To get nerdy about it, one is the quartermaster sommeliers, which is uh, more what the United States is known for, um, and that's the one that you see like the Somme documentaries and the master Somme's. There's like 200 in the world. Um, and then there's another one that is more European. Um, they're both the same information. They both have I think four levels of certification and it just is like any other certification you study and prepare and you pass one level at a time and go as high as you want to go. And, but I mean, for wine, it's the three parts that they test on is theory, which is just knowledge of wine, which is a normal test, um, tasting, which is the blind tasting. Okay. So wait, what service. does that entail? In so the blind tasting, depending on what level you're at, is either two or six wines, either one white, one red, or three whites, three reds. And you go in and you have a uh, grid 
and you start from the top and there are four different categories, um, visual, smell, taste, and conclusion. And so you go through and you assess it on all these different criteria and you give your analysis of everything. And then at the bottom, you say, okay, I think this is a sparkling wine. I think it is a champagne from the Champagne region of France. I think its price range is, you know, 100 to 120. And I think it's, you know, four to six years old. And you make a guess and they don't necessarily pass or fail you whether your conclusion is correct, but whether all the criteria that led you there is conclusive to what you chose. So it's it's oh, basically show your work. Yeah, show your work. Yeah. So that's how it works. Wow. So it's I crazy. could I could tell a great story and still be so one hundred percent wrong. <laughs> and I might be able to get past Truly, it. I think so. I mean they never that's part of like kind of their cruelty though. They never tell you if you got the wine right or not. Like you could have missed a bunch of the other descriptors and gotten the wine right and still failed. Okay. So which I think it sort of bleeds into service, which was that last yeah. criteria yeah. what, what you're what and you're that's judged just on. What you see at, you know, hotel or restaurant service. You have well, to carry the champagne flutes and right. serve and And you have to tell a good story yeah, about what, story this, what this champagne and is. Do a pairing and you know, they harass you and that was the hardest part for me. Um, harassment? Yeah, harassment. No, the <laughs> service part because I hadn't I hadn't done it very many years when I did the sommelier test, so. Okay, I like it. It was fun. I, As an achiever person, it was truly like, I just wanna be the best at this. And it was fun to do, it was fun to prepare and study. And yeah, you meet very interesting people and it's a good, I, I would never change anything about it. Yeah. It was a great season of life. Even the restaurant, it just became taxing and it yeah. became a chapter that I wanted to close. When was the best time in your life? I mean, several come to mind. One answer is college, which is kind of silly, but not for the silly reasons. I think I started out at Wake Forest in North Carolina my first year, and I think I felt this sort of pressure to, I don't know, perform on that level because I was very successful in school and smart and just, I don't know, that felt like what I was supposed to do. And I remember my dad telling me, you know, if you want to go to UT with your friends, go to UT with your friends. Like, no one's going to be disappointed. And I was like, no, no, like, I can do it. And I went and it was a great school and I loved it, but I ended up making the choice to go back. And I just, I actually had a conversation with girlfriends like a couple weeks ago saying, look, can you imagine like what, how many facets of my life would not be the same if I had stayed there? Because I came to UT and I just came into my own and found all this confidence and all of my friendships and even Ben, who was my husband, came from that. And it's just my career came from that, my love for writing. So it's just that to me, I look back and that seemed like a scary decision that turned out to be the best three years of my life. And it continues to like play out and the ripple effect and how it affects me now is amazing. And it was so fun. And I'm I'm just grateful to have made that choice, I guess. Yeah. yeah. You trusted yourself. Yes. Yeah, shockingly you. at 18. Yeah. Well, I made a, a pretty wise choice. It's hard to do when you're young. Yeah. I think there was something to, I grew up here and was very grateful to go to like a small private school and it was a wonderful education. And I got to this college that was basically, you know, the university version of that. And I remember thinking even at 18, if I graduate from here in four years, I won't have a clue what the real world is like and wanting to experience that. And UT had that because it was a big school and it was a state school and there were a lot of different people from a lot of different places. And I, best choice, best choice I've made. When was the worst time in your life? Definitely losing my husband three years ago. Um, it was very sudden. It was right before our first wedding anniversary. 
and it's just never what you imagine, never. Um, and I'm thankful to be three years out and to be really loving my life again, but it, it's been a battle. So that's, I mean, it's unmatched, yeah. When was a turning point in your life that you can point to and say everything changed at this point? I kind of have to piggyback off of that and say losing Ben too. I mean, it it turns your world upside down and it, you know, we were so young, we had just gotten married. It basically feels as if it's erased your future and everything in front of me felt blank. And I just feel like I had to start over in a sense. And I feel like I've learned more about who I am and who I want to be in the last three years than I have my entire life. And I'm, I'm super grateful for the person I am after having gone through that. Oh, isn't that awful that you have to lose so much yeah. to gain so much? Yeah. When was the greatest moment of clarity for you? I've been thinking about this. Um, I think there were a few, if that's okay. I think I, I can recall several places, like one in my teens, one in my twenties and one in the past couple of years where clarity to me felt like reprioritizing what mattered. And I think it was different from, you know, in the high school chapter than the chapter in my twenties. And then in the past few years, I think there have been several moments of clarity where I've sat face to face with another woman or another person who's really been hurting and I've seen the impact that my story has made on that individual. And I think that to me is what feels like the biggest moment of clarity because it's sort of prior, it reprioritized like this life is not about performance as much as it's about people. And that was a, a big shift for me. Isn't it? I mean, that's huge. Yeah, I mean, it was, it, it was a huge shift. And I think part of what made that moment so profound to me is that that's how Ben lived his life. He lived people over performance and I was the other way around. And so kind of trying to live out his legacy and having these one-on-one -on -one moments with people where I see them walk away a little bit lighter. I'm like, man, that's what matters. Yeah. Tell me something about your nature that you've felt like you've overcome. Uh, I think I've always been very impatient. <laughs> I am still not the world's most patient <laughs> person. Um, and I just have always moved through things really quickly. And I have done a lot of work to try to slow down and to really hold future plans open-handed because we can't control what happens. Um, and I think it's made me live a little bit slower, honestly. And that's sort of a weird way to phrase it, but that's the only way I know how to explain it. It's like, there's this sense of, of presence that I always kind of rush past in the past. And now I feel very comfortable and you know, more willing to just sit, whether it's a good moment to sit or a bad. And I think that's a, I think that's a more joyful way to live life. Yeah. And you're, I mean, you're present minded. I think COVID helped with that. Don't you? Oh, yes. It COVID was everything for that. Um, what do you find yourself saying a lot lately? You know, it kind of goes with that. It's like, I've had this 24 hour at a time mindset also probably because of COVID. Um, but you know, when your life is sort of upended, like I said, there's, there is power in preparation. I still believe that I love a to-do list more than anybody. Um, but I think there is relief for me and there feels like freedom in addressing 24 hours at a time. Yeah, I agree. I'm with you. What's your purpose right now? Purpose right now. I truly, 
I hope it's bringing people hope with what I've done and, you know, having put out a book about my loss and my grief and my healing. Um, I hope that it brings people hope if they can't see it in their story. And when do you think you realized that, that that was your purpose? I would say there have been many instances, um, but I think around a year after Ben passed, it was a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a woman who was my age and went through the same thing just about the same time. And she messaged me on Instagram because she follows what I do with my Nashville organization and just asked, it wasn't even a profound question. It was a very practical question about, have you done this yet? And how should I go about doing it? Something about his things. And I felt like this is really gonna continue to matter. And I think my purpose is somehow trying to be an encourager to other people. And I think I look back on my life and I've sort of always done that. But now it's like, again, I told my girlfriends recently, if, if y'all have something that you don't think that you can do or you feel nervous about, if I can be the person that sort of like buoys you and puts gas in your tank, then I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled about that. Yeah. You can do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, we, we have that saying of it's not, it's not life or death. Yeah. You know, I think, um, there aren't, there aren't many times in our lives where we think more about what's happening until there's a birth and then there's a death. And I think that puts into perspective the, the, the finality yeah. of life. Yeah. Right. And the times where it's like, okay, I'm really worried about this, but does it really matter? Yeah. You know, and you have intimate knowledge of that, you know? Yes. It, that, that's part of what goes into the 24 hour sort of mantra, I think, yeah. because at the end of the day, experiencing something like that, it, I, I hold such higher value for the small things and I am burdened so much less by the big things that are out of my control because at the end of the day, they aren't life and death and yeah. you can choose to learn from or grow from or help shepherd others through anything that happens to you. And it can make you, I heard someone say the other day, an author that I love, it can make you better, it can make you bitter. And I mean, that's really true. I love that. Yeah, and it, but it's our choice. Yeah. So let's talk about your story. Put me, put me in the mindset of 28-year-old Maddie. <laughs> You'd just gotten married. You were, to the love of your life, yeah. you met in college, this amazing man. Tell me about Ben. Yeah, that was a that was a high, high, high season. I mean, it was fantastic. At that point, I had my restaurant that I ran here. I was a sommelier and I had a wine bar for two years. You still are a sommelier. Yes, that's like, true. I'm once, just once retired. Always. Yes, that's Cheers. right. Cheers. Still, just a little out of practice. <laughs> Fine. You don't you don't need practice to do this. <laughs> um, I don't know. And at that point, I was just feeling on top of the world. I had this career and it was, I was very young to be where I was and we had just gotten married and it's, you know, it's the honeymoon phase of everything. And he just was such a vibrant person. And we both sort of just had this like community mindset. So we were always like hosting parties and just, we were at the center of a lot of exciting things. And when I closed the restaurant, which was July of 2018, um, June of 2018, it was, it was my choice, but it was a hard choice. And I sort of described it to people as a relief and a grief at the same time, because it's very, very hard and it was struggling and I was newly married and I didn't want 
that demanding um, of a business moving forward. Well, and on top of that, you you are an achiever. Yes. And yes. so it's hard to say that something isn't what you wanted it right. to be or it, it wasn't serving yeah. you the way you wanted it to serve you. It felt like a failure. And it also felt like an open door toward something that I think my heart had always been really called to, which was writing, communicating, and women. And there were a lot of young women that worked for me there that I had sort of not just by nature become a mentor to. And when I closed, I told Ben, I said, I think this is where God wants me to go. I don't have any idea where it is, but I think it's some sort of encouragement or speaking or something to women. Um, and that was that ended up being July of 2018. And I ended up founding a new women's merchandise brand that's philanthropic. And that was all exciting. And so I'm feeling a little bit like I'm swinging the pendulum back to the positive <laughs> side. And so we go on vacation September of, well, August of 2018. And we're on my dad's fishing boat, again, out celebrating. It's Ben's birthday, both my sister's birthdays. We've got friends with us. And it there was a little thunderstorm that popped up as it does in South Florida. And we're things are wet. We're going to get back up on the boat. And Ben slips and falls back and hits his head. And you know, it's so sudden and it was seemed pretty mild and just thought, OK, like I'll have a concussion, you know, whatever, and ended up going to the ER because there were off duty EMTs there, which was such a mercy because they were like, you need to go. And his brain started to swell. And from there, it was 12 days in the ICU and multiple brain surgeries. And it just ended up being too much for his body. And he passed away. And, you know, that was there really aren't words, but it felt like, it felt like falling from a mountaintop to the ground. I mean, it was the highest high to the most unimaginable low in a sequence of 12 days, which felt like a year. When in those 12 days was, did the thought first cross your mind that you might lose him? It truly didn't. I think that's why it hit with such a debilitating impact because while that was always a fear in the back of our mind, you know, the warnings from the doctors were always he could have impaired judgment. He could wake up with a different personality. Like this was the part of the brain that was most severely damaged. Maybe he'll lose some motor function, but probably not. I mean, these were sort of what they were prepping us for. And at that point, at the end of you know 10 or 11 days, we've already gotten into a uh, a neurological rehab program in Atlanta. And I'm thinking I'm going to be there for two years, like rehabbing him back. And even remember sitting outside the hospital with his mom on a park bench and being like, I will love him no matter how he comes out of this. And that's what I was preparing for. And so then we went in um, on that last day and the neuro neurosurgeon said, you know, his brain swelling starting to go down. We're going to start pulling him off the medicines, to try to wake him up. We just need to do one more scan. So we're thinking, all right, finally, this is over. And she comes back and he's had multiple strokes and is brain dead. And they didn't know because he was in a coma. So, I mean, when I tell you it was, it, it truly never crossed my mind. How did you react in that moment? I think it was truly just a divine protection. Like it was adrenaline and shock. And, you know, that was near the end of the 11th day and I, you know, his parents, of course, were there, as were mine. And, you know, I said, we can't, I can't make this decision right now. It was like, we have to go back to the hotel. He's being operated completely by machines and I can't make this choice. 
and just prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. Like if, if he's not, if you're not going to heal him, if he's not going to be a miracle, like you have to take him Lord, because I'm not doing this. And sure enough, middle of the night, I get a call from the hospital. Hey, if y'all can get here, we can keep him alive. His heart's failing, but you know, so we go in the middle of the night and I sign everything I have to sign as his wife. And we stand with him as he stops breathing, but it was so surreal. And I, I write in the book, like I never understood the term out of body experience because you feel so acutely demolished and like broken, but also just sort of in this weird fog, like you're just floating through something that has to be a dream, you know? And, but I, I will say, I am so grateful that he went the way he did and I didn't have to choose to take him off. So it, it, it's just a crazy experience. It changes everything about your life and your faith and your family and your relationships. And I mean, it just, it basically knocks you to ground zero. When you were in that moment, I think as people hear about the loss of anyone, anyone they know or anyone they care about, maybe tangentially, oh, so-and-so lost their husband. Oh, that's terrible. And they might think about it for a minute or two and then they you know, go about their day. You had to live with that loss, being a 28-year-old woman, and you lost the love of your life. And you were sitting with his parents too. I mean, I just can't even imagine the heartbreak of that. And um, I'm sorry. Thank I'm sorry. Because it's emotional for me too, just hearing it for you. I'm like, golly, that's awful. Um, what were the first two weeks like for you after that? They were still sort of that out of body experience. I mean, I think, um, I, I say now adrenaline and shock are, are gifts from God because you can't, as a human, we are not made to feel the full impact of tragic things like that. And part of that, I now understand and I'm so grateful for in the moment. I just wanted to feel as much of the pain as I could so I could like digest it and get it out of the way. And that's just like not how it pain or grief work. It doesn't work that way. They come right. in intermittent doses. And that's why three years later, this past Thanksgiving, you know, I had to take my time to, to, to grieve and to hurt. And, um, you know, it still comes with anxiety and it still comes with tears. And I just think the beginning is so again, surreal. But I will say there was this very intense connection with people closest to me that I just felt almost like a baby, honestly. I just felt completely dependent, like nothing was on my shoulders and everybody sort of just stepped in and did. And, and I think I'm so much closer and I have such a richer connection with those people now because they truly carried me for those first several weeks. I mean, my girlfriends had a legit Excel spreadsheet and put someone on call for me every day. And it's, if I was fine and wanted to be alone, then I would call them off. If not, they were with me for as little or as much as I wanted to and put everything else aside. And I just, that's incredible love. Like yeah. it just was, it was remarkable, but you just feel empty, honestly, and, and just relied on everybody else for everything. Yeah. When did you start writing about this? Pretty quickly, uh, probably within a month or two, I started just journaling just to process. Um, after that sort of initial shock wore off and I started to really 
feel despair. It was like a feeling that I had never experienced before. Because this is not something you come back from. No. And it just was a natural outlet for me. Um, it was a way to try to even understand with myself what was going on before I could even try to express it to other people. And that went on for probably a year before I decided, okay, let's see if this could really turn into something that could help someone else. Um, it was just for me, which I think is important. If there had been an initial plan to make it a book, I don't think it would have healed me in the same way that it has. Yeah. Well, and you you talk about it like it was a private thing. It wasn't a private thing. I mean, your, your placement as the daughter of a country superstar makes it not mm -hmm. private. None, nothing of that was private. Um, I, I imagine you got some privacy, but not as much as maybe just someone down the street, 28 year old woman who lost yeah. her husband would get. Uh, and I imagine that was a blessing and a curse, right? On one hand, on the blessing side, it's people know, people yeah. feel, mm. people reach out and give hope and encouragement. Yeah. But on the other side, you're probably reminded all the time. Yeah. Even on the times when you're, you might be having a great day. This is a good day. And then someone reminds you of, of loss and you go, this is not a good day. Yeah. Why do I have to deal with this? What role do you think your parents played for you in that healing and that, and that anguish and all of it? I mean, they, I, I've, I've done a lot of interviews about this and one person kind of said at the end, she said, it sounds like your family and friends accidentally did this perfectly. <laughs> and I was like, truthfully, <laughs> you're right. I was like, I couldn't <laughs> express that any better because they, and I say that with a caveat, obviously nothing about it was perfectly done, um, but they just somehow were present enough to always provide whatever I needed in that moment, whatever the moment was, but they also kind of took steps back to let me lead what I wanted. And I don't know how any of them knew to do that. I don't know. I mean, mom and dad, obviously they've lost parents. My mom has lost a brother tragically in her mm -hmm. younger years. And so they've gone through plenty of pain, you know, in their lives. But I think what I respect them and will praise them always for is their hearts were equally, if not more deeply broken than mine. And not for Ben, they did grieve Ben, they love Ben, they, he was his son, their son. But you know, and you're a parent, it's like they would have given anything to fix it for me. And, and they to couldn't. save you from that. Yes, and, I, and they felt so helpless. And that, that was what broke my heart for them. But they did everything in the world they could to help build me back up and, to protect me and to provide me what I needed. And I, I just, I couldn't have done it without them. And I know, I know that they were grieved that I had to do it so publicly too. Yeah. I think a lot for them, they wish that I just had a quiet little cave, you know, and, to, well, to try to heal in. And that's partly who you are. I think of you, Maddie, as someone being, you know, I mean, you're, you're who you need to be mm -hmm. when you have to be that person, yeah. but you just have always struck me as such a private person yeah. who just, you know, you go about your life. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting balance because in a way, as you said, having the loss be so public, um, felt like immediate purpose for me uh, because people could see it. And even from the very early days, that was always, 
that was always my prayer and my conversation with the Lord was I'm, I can do, I can't do this if there's not purpose to it. Mm. Like that was what it was. Ooh, and I not that's like I amazing. had a choice. No, no, no. But that's but, amazing. But that truly was. And, and it was a very probably indignant entitled prayer for a long time. <laughs> but I was like, this is going to, this is going to help people. This is going to be something big because if it's not, I can't live with that. Like this has to matter. And from the beginning, because of my family, I could see it matter so much more quickly than someone who would have to grieve it kind of in their little cave, you know? And, and it made it harder because there were constant reminders everywhere and everyone knew, and I was the 28 year old widow. And I hated that. But there were immediate glimpses of purpose in it. And for that, I am grateful. And I think without our family being who we are, I wouldn't have seen that as quickly. And I think I would have felt hopeless for longer because of that. Yeah. You're such a hope giver, you know? I mean, you've gone through the ultimate. I just feel like it's the ultimate, losing someone. You had your whole life ahead of you. That's yeah. the ultimate loss. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think in, in so many ways, widow as a, as a label probably did define you for years, mm -hmm. you know? But now you're here three years past. Mm -hmm. You've put this beautiful book together where you've started to, you know, just put it out there, yeah. right? As painful as that might be and as vulnerable as you had to be to put it out there. I mean, now it's out there. And I feel like there's a, I feel like you've gone past that label of widow from, the, widow is no longer top billing. Yes. What do you think that next label is that you're stepping into now? Have you thought about that? I don't know, but I appreciate you saying that because I think um, I hated that term and I, I remember the first time that a young woman came up to me because she too was a young widow and remember thinking and being angry that like I was the ambassador for this group now. That's what yeah. it felt like. And I didn't want to be that because yeah. I didn't want to be a widow. Like more than anything in the world, I wish that wasn't the label. Yeah. And I remember thinking this is permanent and this is what, this is the first thing people are always going to think about me. And it's the first thing they're always going to say and I'm thankful to be at the point where, yes, it is permanent because it's always a part of my story, but I don't think it is the first thing people say anymore. And I don't know. Is it author now? I, I hope so. That's so much better. Um, is it Phoenix? Phoenix yeah, sounds so cliche. I don't know. But it's, there's, um, there's got to be another word for it. We've got to I like hope point. giver. I, I would take that in an instant. Yeah. Or Survivor, like pull out some mm. Beyonce or something. <laughs> Kelly Clarkson, I don't know, they all have a Survivor song. <laughs> we should all have a Survivor yeah, Cheers yeah, to yeah. Survivors, yeah, hey, right. cheers, cheers. Oh my goodness. I, I do love that you've taken so much of Ben's life and put it into Nashville. Mm -hmm. Explain what Ben was doing and what he was working on, the women he was helping, and how that's transitioned into what you've been doing too. Yeah, it's honestly, the sweetest part of the whole thing for me. So when I closed the restaurant, wanting to go into some sort of kind of women's ministry kind of arena, and I got a call from a friend of a friend who was wanting to start this merchandise brand. It was all about Nashville and celebrated women and empowered them sort of from a place um, of grace and just unity. And she wanted somebody to do a blog and a podcast and sort of just put out content for the supporters and felt very led that that's where I was supposed to go. So we start building her story is one of adoption. So she wanted to serve orphans and adoptive moms and foster care and all that. 
And then we added our second uh, mission, which is widows, simply because it was in scripture. At that point, I hadn't lost Ben. It was just totally a divine thing. Yeah, you're and like, this is what the Bible yeah, says. It, this, this is truly why we chose it. And I mean, I was 28, she was 30. We were like, we have no idea how we're gonna do this or what this is gonna mean. And then Ben was a district attorney for, for Davidson County in Nashville. And he happened to sort of be in the drug and trafficking courts. That's the majority of the cases that he had. And, you know, he would come home and, and talk about these women that he would deal with by name. And he, you know, he just sort of had this broken heart for the fact that they were being prosecuted when they needed to be protected and have opportunities to be free and be healed. Yeah. And um, so truly that was that was the first I really ever knew about trafficking on a real level. Um, and he just started sharing with us about how terrible it is in Nashville and that it's a hub. And, you know, if we really wanted to add another mission that was kind of boots on the ground here in the city that he could connect us with those organizations. And so he did. And, you know, for me, obviously that's such a special part of what we do. And a lot of the women we work with who run the programs worked with Ben and know him. So it just feels like a, a special way to continue his legacy and something that he was a part of building yeah. with us. So orphans, widows, and trafficked women. Yeah. It's amazing. You yeah. think about like, well, as the Bible says, the least of these, yeah, right? Absolutely. And and I think women in those situations, children in those situations are absolutely helpless. Yes. And and it's not unlike your own story. Right. I mean you were there were years many, where you were many, many helpless moments. Just absolutely yeah. helpless and hopeless. Yeah. And you turned it around and now are giving hope to people in that same position, whether it's through loss or whether it's through the loss of their own ability to make choices for them themselves right. or for their bodies. I mean, that's incredible. Hope giver. Hope giver. That is, that is it. literally my favorite. I'll take it. Yeah. I love that for you. What else, Manny? What it, what's next for you right now? I mean, you've put out this beautiful book and I imagine you think of Ben every day. When did you go through his things and are they still in your home? It was a, it was a multi-phase thing. Yeah. So a lot of them I still have in storage. A lot of them that weren't special in any way I gave away when I moved out of our home, which was four months after he died. Was that uh, planned? To move? Mm -hmm. It happened very quickly. Um, for the first few months, the only place I wanted to be was our home. It felt like a sanctuary. And truly, as if the, the flip of a switch, one day I woke up and I was like, this feels like prison, I gotta get out of here. And I felt nervous about that choice because it was fast. And I wondered, is going to a new place really gonna make me feel more comfort or more sadness or more loneliness? And really just sort of had to step out in faith in it and say, I'm, I'm not comfortable here anymore and I have to know that it can't be worse somewhere else. And um, it was the best choice. It was the best choice. It was like a clean slate. It's a beautiful home and just bright, like physically bright. Mm -hmm. And it gave me a chance to put away some of his things, but also create my own new space and put his touches on it. You know, it wasn't ours anymore. And while that was one of the more painful things to acknowledge, it also sort of showed me early on that it doesn't have to be black or white. It doesn't have to be our house or just my house. Like I can continue to graft 
his things and his memories and his deer mounts and all these things into my home and into my life for the rest of my life. It's not one or the other. Right. Well, but he is going to be a fixture forever. Yeah. I mean, because he's now ignited your purpose. Yes. Right? Losing him ignited you. Yes. In so many wonderful ways. What do you think you've learned from that? Aside from loss, what, what are some of those... Even if it's as simple as you saying, I can't buy dog food on Tuesdays. I don't know. Something about Tuesdays can't do it. Like yeah. what, what are the things that have come out of that for you? Yeah. I mean, definitely the, the 24 hours at a time, um, people over performance. And I think there's just, I, I don't know how to say it besides that I, I live life in a richer way, I think because I know how fragile and how precious it is. And so the small things really mean the world to me. I mean, like a good meal, a sweet text from a friend, like I, I've never loved nature more. It's like my solace. Mm. Um, and I just, I don't know. I, I, everything seems like it's in high definition in a way it wasn't before. Mm. And I also feel like I've told my friends, I've, I've learned to do so many things. I didn't know I could until I had to. Like? Like uh, clean a grill. Um, <laughs> I've never done that. Yeah. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Uh, no, truly. Um, <laughs> I never checked the mail because he was the mail checker. So now I've learned to get in a rhythm of that. Um, <laughs> I can actually keep some plants alive, which I never could do before. I mean, it's just, it's silly things that, you know, until you're left to do them on your own, you think, eh, I don't know if I could. And you can't until you have to. And there's a lot of empowerment that comes in learning to do those small things. Yeah. Do you feel separate now from him in that way? Um, in this beautiful way of garnering your own, um, I guess, strength? Does that give you a, a strength, a tower to stand on and some separation? Or does that make you feel more connected to him? It both. I mean, it makes me feel proud of who I am as a woman. And it also reminds me that he would be super proud of me too. So it's sort of like, I don't know. One, one other woman who I love, who's one of my mom's best friends, was widowed in her 20s. And oh. she said, at some point, it's going to feel like he's just your own secret best friend. And I feel like I'm there. Mm. That sounds like a nice place to be. It, it's, a ha it's a good place to be. And it's, you know, 90% sweet and 10% painful. And I feel very grateful for that. Walk me through the framework of your book. I mean, I, I, I understand that there were some hard times that you had to ask God some really hard questions. Yeah. You know, and struggle with some some truths that were just there. You know, why why would you take someone I love so yeah. much? We were so young. We had our lives planned yeah. out. So walk me through some of what's in your book. Yeah, the way, it, the way it turned out was truly just the way that I sort of started processing in the first place, which was questions. It was questions and doubts and fears and... Um, trying to find some sort of spiritual and emotional resolution to these things, yeah. because that's what happens when we, when we lose anything or anyone are, you know, what looks like definitive periods become question marks in the future. So that's how I structured the book because I was like, when, when people suffer there, all of these questions are swirling around in their head and I want them to see me work through them. So each chapter is a question that I, asked myself, asked God, asked other people and sort of me working through it and what it looked like. And it's not that each one has a, you know, bullet point answer. This is A plus B equals C. It's just watching me live life and grapple through them. And so, you know, it's everything from practical, like, what do I do now? And mm. things like, will time really heal this? And, <laughs> and what was your response for that? What did you decide? Will <laughs> time really heal? Well, 
It does. I didn't <laughs> want that to be true because I wanted to be out of it. Like I wanted to be out of the deepest, darkest places. And I think there are many other facets that you have to, you have to really work through and employ in your pain, but time is on your side. I think it, 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 what I have always told people is it doesn't make the pain go away at all. It, it teaches you how to manage your own pain in your healthiest way. So with each year that the anniversary comes, I know now more each year what I need to do when I need to do it and what healthy and unhealthy ways, you know, I deal with pain and it helps you navigate it. What do you need to do on those anniversaries? I have to force myself into a place that will make me grieve early in the day because if I don't, I'll start going through all the motions and do everything and honestly uh, be able to celebrate more now than I used to. And that's a good thing, but it catches up with you. Yeah. I mean, I imagine there's a few days that you have to do that. You have to do it on his birthday. You have yeah. to do it on your wedding anniversary yeah. and then the, the day of his death. Yeah. That's a, that's, and then Christmas. Yeah. All the holidays. And then Thanksgiving. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think it's what, it's what everyone who's lost someone who they love with yeah. all their heart has to do. It's those days that were so important to, yeah. you know, to each other. And then, you know, they're not there. What I, I kind of wonder to what comes next for you? You know, yes, you're on this, you're, you're doing the book and your book's doing so well and people just really resonate with it because you've, I think because you've chosen the vulnerable path, mm -hmm. in my mind, the vulnerable path is always the right path. Yeah. The authentic path is always the right yeah. path um, because all of us try to put on this like jacket of who yeah. we really are. I mean, armor, whatever. I think it's much cuter than that. So like we <laughs> jacket would be much cuter jacket. than armor. Yeah. Um, we put on this jacket and we're like, this is who we want people to think that we are, but really, I mean, we're not that. Yeah. So I feel like when we can bring our authentic selves, that's always the best. So where does your authentic self take you next? Uh, truthfully, I, I hope it's continuing to write. I really do. I mean, it's, it's been my dream since I was 19. That's what I studied in really? school. Oh, yes. I knew you were a creative writer. I have major, always right? wanted to be an author and I certainly would have never chosen this story to tell first. Um, but I am proud to, to steward the story. I mean, I am, and I, I hope it is a hope giving yeah. story and I hope there's more to come. And I think I, never had the courage or tools to live the vulnerable, authentic mm -hmm. self until I was sort of forced to in this, honestly. And now I feel, I know the power in that. And if I'm able to continue to bring others into my story, whether it's a book, whether it's my organization, whether it's my podcast, I just want to be that for people. Yeah. Let's, I mean, I know you have to be heavy Maddie all the time, right? Like heavy, downer, <laughs> let's talk about loss. Yeah. Let's talk about Honestly, all these things. I'm a really happy person. Like, <laughs> I'm really fun. It just happens to be a sad story. I know no jokes though, so don't ask me to tell any jokes. No, I don't, I, I, I'm not a joker. I'm just not. Um, tell me something fun that you've done for yourself lately. How have you been able to take care of yourself and, and where do you see the fault lines uh, in your friends, similar aged friends, right? Early thirties who just aren't doing what they need to be doing. What, what are you noticing when we, you know, in that, when we don't take care of ourselves properly? Yeah, I think I, it, it becomes like, I've noticed I was definitely like this and I still have tendencies and I see this in people, especially in their thirties because you're, you're hustling for a dream. And I think that I see people get so, 
laser focused on one thing that's like the once I get there thing, I'll be happy. And I would just say like, pursue that work, work your butt off, like do what you think God's leading you to do, but don't make one thing be that thing. Because I think we do get laser focused and we should have, as I said, plans and goals and dreams, but don't miss the beauty of where you are just because you're so focused on where you want to get. Yeah. And that to me is such a gift because you'll get, you'll get where you're supposed to go and you may make choices that detour you and make it more difficult, but keep your eye on the prize, but don't forget all the beauty that's around you. Well, the pursuit is part of the beauty, right? Right. Exactly. That's part of it, right? That's where we learn. That's where we grow. That's where we connect with people. Right. Um, Something that I've had to think a lot to myself lately is, um, what, what what I desire, what I really want, the goals that I set for myself, those things are meant for me and they're going to continue to be meant for me. Yeah. You know, those are those things that are, those are mine. Yeah. So I can be laser focused yeah. on those things yeah. when I need to be laser focused on them. But I can also go home and play with kids. Yes. You know, I can just do that. Yeah. And no one's going to beat me to my purpose. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. That's mine. Yeah. That's what I was put here to do is mine. Yeah. And I won't squander that. I'll certainly focus on it, but it's not going away. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Well, and I think too, in that same vein, I've had to sort of reset my mind sometimes to just allow myself to enjoy something and not be so focused on the outcome. Like even in a a superficial of a way as like, I love spin. I love exercise. I love walking. And some days I know I can burn 400 calories if I get on the Peloton, but I know what my soul needs is to go for a 40 minute walk with my dog. You need to be in nature. Oh, I feel that. Yeah. And I'm not going to burn as many calories and I can't have two glasses of wine a night because I haven't, but I know the enjoyment of what I need in that peacefulness is not what I'm going to get from like the burnout workout. And I think that's simple, but that is, that is growth for me. uh, Let me tell you this because I feel this sometimes. Uh, sometimes I want to skip whatever it was I was going to do and go in nature. And I think it's not just exercise that you're getting in nature. What you're getting is like, oh, you're yeah. getting the mind. You're, yeah. You're, you're mind, working body, on your soul. mind, all yeah, of it. Definitely. And then you're breathing the oxygen from mm-hmm. the trees. You're hearing the birds. Yeah. You're, you're being present minded in that yes. moment. I found the things, the problems that I've worked through most quickly and clearly have been on walks. Oh yeah. Is that for you too? Definitely. Definitely. And even traded in my running shoes several years ago <laughs> to just go hike at Percy Warner, you there know, you go. because it is, it, it fills you up. Yeah. Simple things. I feel like the more we progress in life, like we we're gravitated toward the simple things, not the, the glamorous things. Not all the time. I feel that way. But, but most of the time. Yeah. I think COVID helped a lot with that. Definitely. Don't you? I do. I, I had read something um, early on in lockdown that that talked about that, um, you know, big things like this, global pandemics, those push us, those just increase the speed at which we get to places we were already going. So like something that was going to already take 10 years, we just got there quicker. Yeah, yeah. I think pain does that. Not to always be the heavy person, but like <laughs> COVID was painful and it did force us into those things. And like I... I genuinely like myself so much better than I did four years ago. And I think it just expedited these parts of me that could have taken me 10 to 20 extra years to find. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. So I think COVID has done that for people. What does achiever hope giver Maddie find interesting right now for the next step? Like, you know, where's your curiosity leading you to now? I, like I said, definitely want to keep writing. I'm curious about 
conferences and like women's speaking engagements and events. Um, I know those can be very successful. It's not something I've dabbled in, but it does feel like something that all of my skill sets could work to explore and yeah. see if it's something that I would want to put on or be a part of. Yeah. Yeah. I'm here for that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Maddie, thanks for being here. Thank you. This was so good to just sit yep. down and talk. And drink. And drink. In the day. In the day. <laughs> it is Friday. It is a Friday. That's true. <laughs> right. As we're recording yeah, it, yeah, it's yeah, a Friday. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah we're... Cheers to us. Thank you for having me. <laughs> if you're loving the Amstigator podcast, the interviews, the stories, and the vulnerability, I'd really like your help to share it with more people. And you can do that by reviewing it. The more positive reviews a podcast has, the more likely it is that Apple and Spotify and Google and everywhere will share it. And if you take the time to do that, I'm giving you something really special. I'll send you my free ebook that I don't have anywhere else on my website. This is my path to transformation that I started in late 2020. It has my routines, my schedules, uh, what I took on, what I let fall away. It's truly how I do life, honestly, how I work full time at the TV station, how I have three tiny children, how I still make time to do this purposeful work. And it's something exclusively for podcast listeners who leave an honest review. So here's how you get that ebook if you want it. Just go to amstigator.com slash review. That's where I give step-by-step -step instructions on how to review the podcast. It takes you two minutes. You'll share your email so I can send you the ebook. Bada bing, bada boom, it's done. And literally, it's something exclusively for my podcast listeners who go to amstigator.com slash review and follow the steps. It's how I say thank you to you. Your review really can help place this podcast where more people will see it. And that's why I started this, truly, to help as many people as possible. So you're a part of that. Amstigator.com slash review is where you got to go. Thanks for listening.